Welcome to episode 18 of Better with Paul. Hi, I'm Kingston, and today is the special Q&A episode. Hope you enjoy it. <laughs> That's right. That's my man, Kingston Lewis Brunson, who is about to turn 10, ladies and gentlemen, a decade old, and he's my co-pilot, at least for this introduction. I want you to enjoy this episode. We completely switched up the format, right, King? Yeah. Completely switch it up, which is what everyone tells us not to do. But, you know, versatility is a spice of life. And today I'm answering four of your questions. You'll notice that these are four completely different questions from four completely different people. And I think what's really cool is you get to see how, you know, how wide the audience is, right? How different our audience is. Uh, but that being said, if you really, really like today's episode, I want you to email me because that way I know we're on the right track. And my email is real simple. It's paul at paulcbrunson.com, paul at paulcbrunson.com. And if you don't like the episode, I want you to also email me and say, Paul, never put that episode on again. Is that fair, King? Yeah, I think so. I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. All right. So after the break, we want to welcome you to the very special Q&A episode. Yeah. Hey, Paul, how's it going? It's Julian. So my question for you is, um, recently I haven't been feeling very motivated and I was wondering what your advice would be in changing that, changing that mindset and getting back on track. I hope you're well. Take care. Love. This is such a great question, right? So first, shout out Julian, man, South London representing. Uh, but the reason why this is such a great question is because we all have this issue from time to time, right? There is no one that is immune to not feeling, or should I say, immune to not being motivated at some point in their life. And what's interesting to me about this question is that this is one of those questions where you think you could just go to Google. You know, Google knows everything. Actually, Siri told me that Google knows nothing. But you can go to Google, right, and and just Google the answer. I tried to Google the answer to how to stay motivated, and I'll tell you what, what I've read, at least on the first five pages, I'm not necessarily down with. I think there are other ways, more effective ways, and I want to break this down. And so let's first begin with what does what does motivation even mean? Like, what, what does it actually mean? And an analogy that I love around motivation is, and this is one that I use with my boys all the time, is let's say that I placed a bag of money on a hill, but this hill is 300 miles away. Now, let's talk about 300 miles real quick. All right. That's if you're in London, Julian, that's the distance, almost the distance between London and Paris. Right. If you're here in Washington, D.C. right now where we're filming, that's like D.C. to New York. So 300 miles is a, is a long way. Now, what I want you to do is you're not getting on a bus. You're not getting on a, you know, e-scooter. You're not getting in a car. You have to actually travel those 300 miles on foot. So that's going to take you days. You're going to go through dangerous terrain. You don't know who's out there. Right. Who's going to, you know, try to set you up, mug you, you know, do all kinds of cra we're going to New York. Right. It's, cra it's crazy. Right. Don't go through don't go through Brooklyn or the Bronx. Right. So it's one of these where 300 miles could be very dangerous. Now, how does this, you know, even touch on motivation? All right. So the bag of money that's on the hill, that's your goal. OK. Your idea, your thoughts on how you're going to maneuver through those 300 miles, through all that dangerous territory, you know, what you're going to do at night, where you're going to sleep, all of that stuff, that's your plan. If you take a plan and you match it with a goal, that is strategy. And let's just pause on that real quick, because if you ask most people, what does strategy mean? They, don't even, they can't even tell you that. Now, strategy is when you have a plan and you have a goal. So right now we've got strategy. So I know Julian's like, well, Paul, I didn't ask you about strategy, man. I asked you about motivation. This is what motivation is. 
if I were to stop you, Julian, at any point along that journey and say, why? Why are you going after the money? Why are you sleeping out here in the cold? Why are you fighting off these attackers, right? Why are you still walking when you're hungry and you're thirsty? The answer is your motivation. It's your willingness to keep going towards your goal. That's what your motivation is. And my commitment to you is this. This is, this is my word, is that you will never be able to reach a goal unless your motivations are bigger than the dangers along the way, right? Than the impediments along the way. And so if we want to talk about the heart, the heart of how do we get motivated, to me, it's about what I call the classics. I love classics, man. Classic Adidas, shell toes. I love classics. I love classic, the lumberjack jackets, classic design. Like I like, cla I'm classic. I'm trying to be classic, but I like classics. So I've got this idea around what I call the classics of motivation, the classics of big thinking. This is kind of my classics of mindset. And, and it's really three things. The first is aspiration. Aspiration is, is what gives you the hope of being able to do something, right? The hope of being able to achieve a goal. That's aspiration. And then the second classic is inspiration. Now, inspiration is your, the mental process to do something. And the way that I would kind of juxtapose inspiration and motivation is motivation is what I said. It's, it's that outside force. It's that why are you doing something? It's, 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 it's pulling you right from the outside. Inspiration is what's driving you from the inside. That's what inspiration is. And then you have instruction. Instruction, I love instruction. It's actually what we're doing right now. Instruction is step by step. How do you work through a process? Now, when you have aspiration plus inspiration plus instruction, what it does is it allows you to believe you could do something, right? Aspiration, hope, inspiration, that driving force from inside, instruction, the step-by-step. -step. When you have those three things, it's magic. It helps you to believe you could do almost anything, right? And once you can believe you can do something, you can achieve something. And when I say believe, I'm not talking about, oh, I think I can. Oh, you know, I, I think I can do it. I think I can get there. No, 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 no. I'm talking about, I know I can. Like with the chin up, you know, real stuck up look, you know, like, yeah, 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 yeah. I know I can, right? When you know you can, that then allows you to see possibilities. That allows you to see things differently. And the reason why I talk about this when it comes to motivation is because once you have belief that you can achieve a goal, that's the only way you'll get there. And now let's specifically talk about how motivation plays a part of this and how you can actually, you know, increase and stay motivated. Cause that's really your question, Julian. So I'm gonna go back to that example, but I'm going to use my example of the bag, right? The bag of money, 300 miles away. But what I'm also going to do is I'm going to now interject how aspiration, inspiration, and instruction fits. So, you know, let's say, all right, Julian, we're going to, all right, you live in London. So let's say we're going from Paris to London. All right. So we're going to Paris and London, but it's winter time. It's freezing out here in Europe. Right. And you don't have your fur coat. All right. So it's, it's freezing. Right. So you, so you get on this journey now. Aspiration. Here's what aspiration is. Aspiration, Julian, on a journey like that is if you could pick up your phone and you could say, hey, hey, Paul, I, I know that you've already got the bag in London. Right. I know you know what it's like to get a bag or, oh, oh, uh, Jenny. Yeah, yeah. I know that you've already done this journey before. Right. Aspiration are people in particular, or it could be things and places. But in this example, it's people who have actually achieved the goal. They've actually done it so they can experience what it's like to have done it. And they can give you that belief, that hope 
of being able to achieve it, right? That's aspiration. So Julian, if you're going on that journey and you have people that you could call aspirational people who have done it or people you can go online and see, oh, okay, you've done it, right? I see you on Instagram. Okay, I see. You know how to get to London and get the bag of money, right? That's aspiration. Now, what is inspiration? Inspiration, remember, is that internal driving force. But inspiration typically comes in the form of people, places, and things. But in this example, people who might be going on the journey with you, right? Imagine, Julian, you could start, you could go on that journey alone. This could be real dangerous, real dangerous, right? I sp- man, I've seen some parts of London, like it's, it could get real sticky going in there. But if you have a crew with you, if we started in Paris and, and I say, okay, we're going to crew up. It's going to be 50 of us. And now we're going to go on this 300 mile journey. Then things change, right? Remember the African proverb? You know, you could run a short distance quickly alone, but the only way to run the long distance and do, to do it successfully is to do it with a group of people. And yes, I completely butchered that proverb. Somebody's DMing me right now saying, Paul, you really messed that one up. But you know what I'm saying. I'm saying you go long distances with, with lots of people. So inspiration could come from all of those people. Inspiration could come from you having rewards set up along the way, right? Where you are in, internalizing saying, okay, every, you know, every five miles, I'm going to give myself a Kit Kat, right? You know, every, you know, once I, once I get to, 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 to every new city, every new country, you know, I'm going to give myself, uh, you know, a, a luxurious bath. I like a good bubble bath. So that's me. But that's how I would reward myself. But the point is, is that you want to be able to create things that will help you to internally like drive you, right? People, places, and things. And then lastly, instruction. Instruction doesn't get the value that it deserves. But what instruction is all about is instruction is saying, all right, look, Julian, I know you're getting ready to go on this long journey. You know, it's 300 miles. What you probably don't know is that once you get one mile in, there is a big freaking mountain, a huge mountain. And so in order to go on this journey, you you also need to know how to climb a mountain. So let me teach you how to climb a mountain, right? There's going to be a fall, you know, uh, 50 miles in. You're going to have to know how to climb up a falls, right? Which, by the way, I'm a professional falls climber, Duns River, Jamaica. But, you know, you see the point, right? The point here is that instruction is that step by step. And once you have that, so imagine now you're Julian, okay? And you have all this aspiration, inspiration, instruction. You have people that you can call that have already done it, right? Have already gotten to the bag. You have the inspiration where you have surrounded yourself with people who are also going on the journey. You're going to reward yourself as you're going along the way. And then you have instruction. You've sat down with people and you know there's going to be mountains, there's going to be falls. And now you know how to scale a mountain. You know how to, you know, scale a falls. You have all of this. At that point, tell me, how's your belief right now in your possibility of getting to that goal? It's much higher. It's substantially higher than... If you didn't have the aspiration, inspiration, and instruction. Now, here's the beauty of this. Here's where I think the magic of the classics and motivation is if you have all those things, Julian, right? If you have all those things, at that point, you're already thinking, I'm going to get the bag. Almost getting the bag is secondary. Getting to the goal, you already know you're getting to the goal. You believe it. I'm getting, I'm getting that bag right? So you already know you're getting to it. Now here's the beauty and here's how it really connects with motivation is once you already know you're getting to the bag, you begin to think of all of the benefits of getting to the bag. And you realize the benefit is not just the money that's in the bag. The benefit also is, is man, if I traveled all that way and climbed mountains and climbed falls, I now understand how to climb mountains. I've learned a new skill. I can climb mountains now. I can climb falls now. Oh, I know how to crew up a group of people, 50 people, and I know how to lead them, you know, on a journey. Oh, I know how to set up reward systems now. Oh, I've got aspirational people. Oh, wow. I've got a new network of people that I can call. Like, you begin to understand 
that the bag of money is insignificant to all of the lessons that you'll learn along the way. And once you know that, and here's the magic, Julian, that becomes additional motivations. Additional. You start to see value and beauty, right, in all of these things. And then what that does is that increases your willingness to get the goal, which is what motivation is, right? Your willingness to go after it. So, Julian, with aspiration, inspiration, and instruction, if I were to stop you and say, why are you going on this path? Your answer is going to be completely different than if you didn't have those things. Your answer is going to be, because I want to learn how to scale a mountain. I want to learn how to climb a falls. I want to learn how to uh, network with people. I want to learn how to... You're going to have all types of additional answers. In other words, you're going to have all types of additional motivations. So if you want to stay motivated or you want to get motivated, I'll tell you this. I'll tell everybody this. Get yourself around aspirational people who have achieved the goal that you are looking to achieve. Get around inspirational people who are moving themselves, actively moving themselves towards that goal. And then instruction. Get around people who know the theory. They understand the step-by-step and they can teach you. Aspiration, inspiration, instruction, those are the classics. That's how you stay motivated. Hi, this is Jane calling from Havre, France. And my question to you, Paul, as someone who has done multiple ventures is, how would you advise someone who has a lot of ideas, um, multiple talents, and doesn't know which one they need to do to start off um, a new business? That's my question. Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay. So, Jane, thank you very much. I didn't catch where in France you're calling from, but I would imagine it's lovely uh, there. This is this is a really good question. Uh, I selected it because, you know, I like I like to select questions that I believe most of us have. This is a question that I struggled with and I know many people struggle with because so many of us are idea folks. Right. We sit down and we say, oh, man, I could do this. I could do that. I could do this over here. But the question really is what you're asking is, how do you know the right one? Right. The best one to begin with. Because we all know that if we focus our efforts on one thing, especially if it's starting a business, especially if you have a full-time job and you're doing it as a side hustle, or even if you're doing it as a full-time endeavor, you need to be focused. And so how do you know which one? Now, for me personally, I'll tell you this. Let me, this is just my testimony to you, Jane, that I come up with a lot of ideas, is my hobby. All right, nobody laugh on this. If you laugh, I'm coming to get you, right? My hobby in high school was writing business plans. All right, I'm listening to see if anybody's laughing at me right now. Yeah. My hobby, I I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, I hear all of, yeah, all of Atlanta. Yeah, all of California. Yeah, you guys are laughing at me. I hear you. But here's the thing. I used to write business plans as my hobby. And so... I would come up with idea after idea after idea after idea. A matter of fact, that Popeye's chicken sandwich right now, that was my idea way back. Uh, but um, I think that what I learned in coming up with all these business ideas was that most ideas we come up with are bad. Like they're terrible. We think they're good. In the moment, we think they're good, but they're, they're terrible. And it's not just my opinion. This is what the market tells us. So if I were to ask you, what's the number one reason why businesses fail? Like the number one reason why businesses fail, what would you say? Let me wait. Let me wait for it. Okay, I hear you saying uh, lack of money. Um, okay, I hear you saying uh, bad management, uh, lack of cash flow. Yeah, I hear that. Yeah. All right, so I hear all of that. But those are wrong. <laughs> okay, now. Those are close. And those are lots of reasons why maybe larger businesses, mid-sized businesses, et cetera, fail. But the reason why startup businesses, entrepreneur, mom and pop, right, businesses fail, number one reason is because of no market need. 
no market need. Look up Kaufman. They actually did a really good study around this, and they found that most businesses fail because there's no market need. So what does that mean? It means that most of us are coming up with ideas that we think people want, but in actuality, people don't want them. And so when you're sitting down and you're coming up with all of these ideas, what I want you to keep in mind is that chances are people don't want your ideas, at least not enough to pay a premium for them. So you have to ask yourself, what constitutes a great business idea? That is your litmus test. What constitutes, what is a great business idea? And I'm here to tell you my opinion on what's a great business idea. So let's first talk about, well, well, what is a business person? Like, what is an entrepreneur? What does an entrepreneur do? In my opinion, an entrepreneur is someone who solves problems, period, right? You solve problems as an entrepreneur. But let's break that down. What that means is that in the market, right, the buyers or consumers, right, they will have a problem. There's a problem there. You identify the problem. And as an entrepreneur, boom, you come along and you say, hey, I have an answer to that problem. I'm going to create either a product or I'm going to create a, um, I'm going to create a product or I'm going to create a, a service that's going to solve that problem, right? That, that's what an entrepreneur does. But we're not just talking about how to become an entrepreneur because we know most entrepreneurs create businesses that fail. The real question is, how do you become a great entrepreneur, right? In other words, how do you develop a great business? How do you know that that's a great idea which equates to a great business? Well, it's the same formula, but you look for extremes. So in the marketplace, you don't just look for a problem. You look for a dire problem. You look for severe, I'm talking about, man, I need this. And then in terms of your solution, you don't just provide a solution. You provide a unique, superbly unique that only someone with your specific set of experiences, knowledge, and insight could come up with. And if you could do that, if you could create a unique solution for a dire problem, <laughs> score, that's it. That is a business idea worth pursuing. So let me give you an example, right, on this. So you could really see how you could develop uniqueness and really go after pain points when you might not think that you have that ability or those pain points exist. So let me look at, let, let's look at two things real quick. Um, let's look at my matchmaking business. I, I think this is a good example because in matchmaking, so matchmaking is a profession that's been around forever. Like I'm telling you, like legit, it's the second oldest profession in the world behind prostitution. Right? It's like pro prostitutes and then people were like, all right, this fake love is really cool. I want some real love. Let me get some matchmakers. Like that's how it went, you know? Um, so matter of fact, I actually think it went prostitutes, it went matchmakers, and it went teachers. Uh, but anyway, matchmakers, old profession. So when I entered the matchmaking space in 2008, like 2008, 2009, People have been doing this for centuries. How was I able to find a pain point? Well, it turned out that as I was going through the marketplace, and by the way, the what keep in mind what makes great entrepreneurs too is their awareness of the marketplace, right? Most most entrepreneurs that I know, not all, but most of them that are able to really generate great ideas and develop great ideas. What I've noticed about great entrepreneurs. Now, this isn't all great entrepreneurs, but this is most is that they don't necessarily have to go down and, and, and do all that input, you know, focused studies and deep research. And let me, you know, pull out encyclopedias that haven't been around, like figure out what's going They They intuitively know, but that intuition comes from their experiences, right? They've experienced it, whatever it is enough to know that there's a problem here. Now, for me, 
if you're listening to this and you have never seen me before and nothing else gives you this 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 indicator i am a black man all right and so i've been black all my life and i've been around a lot of black people my mama's black right my wife is black uh, a lot of friends are black my cousins are black right? so my point is is that i knew talking to friends family right people in the community i just saw that matchmaking just wasn't a thing in the black community. It was popular in many other communities, but it wasn't a thing in our community. And so it was very clear to see that that same pain point of, I would like to be in a relationship with someone else, that same pain point existed, but there wasn't the same types of solutions in our community. But then to go a step further, because remember, it's not just a pain point, but it's the deep pain point. Right around the time when I started, that's when there was a lot of uh, discussion, a lot of content coming out around how uh, people, a lot of women in particular, felt hopeless, right? It wasn't just about uh, not finding someone. It was this belief that the pursuit is not worth it, right? They, they felt hopeless. That's a deep pain point, right? Hopelessness is a deep pain pain point. Hopelessness is a type of why that will literally make you cry. Okay. It'll break you down. It'll give you depression. And so that is a deep, dire pain point. Now you, you pop over to the solution side. Here I was, right? I understood this. I understood the business of all of it. I had already been working on projects that were connected to, you know, matchmaking. And so it was very, I should say, not easy, but it was easier for me with my experiences to have witnessed this pain point and then to develop a unique solution based on all of my experiences. And that was why I believe the matchmaking business was so successful so quick. Like literally out the gate, it was, it was a success. Deep pain point, great solution, unique solution. That's what adds up to a great idea. The, the overall point here is that Every business idea, every business idea involves two components. There's a pain point in the marketplace and there's a solution. And so your question was, you have many ideas. How do you know which one to pursue? The succinct answer is look for the business idea that has the deepest pain point, but also the business idea where you have a unique set of experiences to provide a distinct solution to that pain point. And then you've got yourself a great business idea. Pardon the interruption. Just want to tell you about something that my wife and I have just launched and we are very, very excited about. It's called BWP Connect. Now, you may already know, but if you don't know about it, let me put you on, okay? It's a very safe place for those of us who value legacy, culture, and financial freedom through entrepreneurship to all come together and connect. If you are interested in more information about BWP Connect, simply go to paulcbrunson.com backslash B-W-P-C-O-N-N-E-C-T. That's paulcbrunson.com backslash BWP Connect. And now let's get back to the show. Hi, Paul. This is a cameo from Las Vegas. I want to know why men often have a negative impression of single women, especially once we're no longer in our 20s. I wrote a book called Single That, dispelling the top 10 myths of the single woman, and here's why. Today, I received a message on a dating site that said, you're gorgeous. What's your problem? And sign. I want to know how someone as unique as you is single. That's why I wrote the book, and that's why I'm asking these questions, and I hope you have an answer for me. Thank you. Can't wait to listen to the show. Bye. Oh, wow. Wow. This one, uh, all right, I came here. This is going to be hard because I try, I like to do these, these answers in less than, you know, l less than 10 hours. <laughs> and this is one where I, I think I could talk on for a while, but this is, all right. So straight out the gate, let me just say this. Um, this guy has a problem, right? And, and, and I'm not actually out here mail bashing, 
but he specifically has a problem. And I'll even say this is that it's not just men that oftentimes say, oh, okay, if you're over 30, like something's wrong with you, right? There's a lot of ladies that say this. In my matchmaking agency, we would significant, we would, I would say that a top issue among the ladies that we had was that anytime that we would match them up with a with a man who appeared to like have it all together, right? The immediate question was, well, well, what's wrong with him? Right. Let's talk about why that is, right? And I'll give you my opinion about why that is. And I think this may shock you. Okay. Uh, the first is let's admit that this is an issue of people saying that if you're over a certain age, sometimes it's 30, sometimes it's 35, sometimes now it's even over like 26, 25, that people will believe something is wrong with you if you are not in a relationship. That happens and it's more prevalent in other countries. And I, I don't want a country bash, but I have been to many countries where if you're over 27, 28 in particular as a woman and you are not married, the idea is that you're bad goods, right? Something is wrong. Uh, let's talk about why this is. How did we get here? Because there's science behind this. You know, one of my favorite books, one of my favorite reads around uh, love, The Science of Love, is actually by David Buss, right? And his book is called Evolution. Well, he has lots of books, but one is Evolutionary Psychology. And it's this whole idea of love and how we love, in particular, how we relate to each other socially. It stems back to how we initially interacted with each other way back, way, way, way back when we were hunter-gatherers, right? We can't even talk to each other. We're just grunting. Ugh, ugh. What does that mean? I'm hungry. Ugh. What does that mean? I need sex. Ugh. Like, they actually would be, ugh. <laughs> anyway, so... The question is, is like, how did we begin thinking this? So it was really simple, very simple back in the hunter-gatherer days, right? It was about how do we survive? We weren't even thinking about thriving. Like we're in a generation now where it's like, okay, let's thrive. Like I, I, I want to live my best life, right? But then it was just like, I just want to live life and not be eaten by this animal over here or not be, you know, uh, clubbed over my head by this person over here. I just want to live. So how did you live? Well, the key to living was about, it was hunt, well, it was hunter gatherers, but the, the key to living was that you needed to actually be in a community. For example, it was hunter gatherers in particular because we were hunting and we were gathering. If you were hunting, you could actually bring in more food, you could more successfully hunt if you hunted as a group. You know, as gatherers, you're gathering more resources as a group. People who strayed away from the group died a quick death. So we knew that we had to be together socially, right, as, as, as a unit. The next part of that is that it would behoove you to have as many children as possible right? They, they will help you with all those things, help you with the hunting, help you with the gathering. The other thing is what procreating does is it helps you to you and your DNA, et cetera, to live long, right? So procreating was right up at the top and it wasn't just only for the feeling of it, right? It was because of the survival. If I have more children, right? If I have a group with me, that's my people, right? If I have legacy, I now survive, right? In one fashion or another. And so procreating was very important. So that was key. It was like, let's be, like, think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's like, all right, let's be safe. Let's eat. But then all right, let's, let's, let's get down. So what was happening is that men were specifically going after women who appeared to be fertile, right? Appeared to be what they considered to be, and we don't have to go through the specifics of it, maybe we'll save that for another show, but were youthful, right? Who, who were, and I say fertile, but, but in essence, it was youthful because if you were older at that time, which older at that time was just in your 20s, by the way, but if you were older, there was less of a chance that you can actually 
have birth, give birth. So what men did is they went after the mo- the youngest kind of fertile women that there were. Women actually liked a man that was a little bit more potent, right? Man that was strong, right? You know, a man. And, and, and why? Because that meant that she was going to have stronger children. At least that was the thought, right? That was the idea. So she wouldn't go after the old guy either. The old guy would be off on the corner by himself playing spades. Actually, you can't play spades by yourself. But he'd be off on the, on the corner, you know, shooting dice or whatever, right? Uh, and yes, someone's going to say, Paul, there was no dice in hunter-gatherer days. Yes, I know this. That was, that was my attempt at a joke. So the point here is that both women and men wanted younger folks. And that whole idea, that whole notion carried itself going forward to the point where today, depending on where you are in the world, the average age of marriage is between 27 and 33, roughly. So the idea is that if you are over 27 to 33, then there's a potential problem with you because everyone should be married around that age. Now, I'm not saying that's that's case. That's 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 it's crazy. It's ludicrous. But that's the perception. But the perception came from back in the day, hunter gatherer days. Right. And carried itself through. And and, you know, I we, we shouldn't neglect what happened in the, you know, the 1400s, the 1500s, the 1600s, where you needed to have a unit in order to pass down, uh, you know, assets. You needed to have a unit in order to have tax credits like it was financially it was socially, it was, even from a health standpoint, it was always, you were always more successful as a couple. So that's really where, uh, you know, and that even talks a little bit about the institution of marriage there and how it is, a, it truly is an institution. So to specifically look at today is what where we are today is we have a group of people like this guy who messaged you who are just kind of, you know, they're not modern day thinkers. They're old school thinkers. So you've got a group of those folks, but then you have another group of people. And this is something that I went through uh, deeper in one of my newsletters. But I believe that this thing called attachment theory is major. It's significant to how we relate socially. And it's something that we all need to know how to identify in others, but also identify in ourselves. And just real quick on attachment theory, is there's four different types of attachments. And these happen when we're younger, right? So with our first loved ones, typically a mother, based on the love that we were given, we all have a particular attachment style, right? That forms from that. And that attachment style then dictates how we relate to other people. Now, there are four types, right? One is a secure attachment style. That means, okay, like you got the love that you needed and now you're secure. So now you relate to people in a very secure way. And by the way, someone who is secure would never say that to you in that message. So this person, that's 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 a flag right there. That person is not secure. So what is that person? Well, there are three other types. There's another type that's called the anxious type. Right, the anxious type is typically someone who um, got love but didn't get love consistently by their loved ones, and now they're anxious. Right, they put all of their value in the relationship or in an institution at work, and they have very low self-esteem. This is the type of person who this is like the woman who would, uh, you know, uh, go to her man and say, you know, uh, I, 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 are you cheating on me? Uh, Please, 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 are you cheating me? Just tell me, okay, are you cheating on me? And then follow him to work. Are you cheating on me? You know, tell me. And call, are you cheating on me? I know, right, it's this anxious, all of my values placed in you, so if you're cheating on me, that's gonna break me, right? That's that. Or that's the guy that's like, you know what? Uh, you know, uh, I love you. I mean, I really love you, right? And he just stalks you, you know, because all of his values placed on you. But that's the anxious personality type. So then you have avoidant attachment style. So this is if you were growing up, right? You're a little, uh, you know, little girl, little boy, and you're not getting all of the love that you need, just some of it, right? So it could be that, you know, you're getting fed, right? That's love, but you're not being held and, and, and cared for physically. So, so something is off, right? You're missing a huge chunk of love. That's the person that grows up and the way that they start to, relate to someone socially is they become avoidant. 
Now, you know avoidance, right? Avoidance are folks who are in a relationship, but when the doors are closed, they say, you know, uh, don't talk to me, right? Or, you know, uh, let's, let's not touch right now. You know, I really need my space. And that's not just someone who's shy and introverted. I'm talking about someone who says, look, they are avoiding interaction for long periods of time. This is an avoidant person. And then the last attachment style is actually the most dangerous. And this is someone who is both anxious avoidant. So they're called anxious avoidant. This is someone who came from a, a you know, tumultuous, uh, fierce, you know, fighting, abuse potentially when they were little. And they kind of grow up with both anxious and avoidant. Uh, uh, they grow up as both anxious and, and, and avoidant types. And so these are the four types. If you are anxious or you are avoidant or you are anxious avoidant, you view social connection in an unhealthy way, right? You either don't have enough self-esteem, your self-esteem is so high, it's, it's, it's basically narcissism, uh, or you just see relationships or communicating with people as, as drama, right? If you are secure, you see the value of relationships. You kind of see the best, right, of social interaction. The reason why I bring all of this up is because I didn't want to just say that this guy's crazy, but I want to say that someone who responds to you and says, you're over 30 years old, what's wrong with you? And they truly believe that. They're not, they're not just saying it as, as a joke. If they truly believe that, I think, I believe, they typically fall in one of two categories, either A, very old school, arch archaic, you know, prehistoric type thinking. And that's someone who's not going to be right for you. Or it's someone who has a very unhealthy outlook on relationships. Someone who potentially has an anxious or avoidant or anxious avoidant attachment style. And that person is not the right person to be in a relationship with. So in summary, these folks who tell you this Here's exactly what you do. Hit delete. All right, last question, guys. Last question. And on the last questions, what I like to do is keep them for me, right? So this is all about me right now. So I, I like to sort through and find out who's asking me a question about me. Yes, my name is uh, Reginald Goggins, and I'm calling from Atlanta, Georgia, North America. Uh, United States. Uh, and my question is, Paul, I would like to know, what are two things in this whole wide world that would bring you joy or make you happy? Again, two things, if, if, if you could change two things, what, what are those two things that would truly make you happy. Thanks again. My name is Reginald Goggins. Have a great day. Bye-bye. All right. I feel like I have to say Mr. Goggins because I heard that nice Southern accent. Uh, this, this was, you know, going through these questions, what I most love about this is the fact that Mr. Goggins, you asked me for two things, right? And I just want to spend a second and say that less is more. I'm going to repeat that, guys. This is in almost everything in your life, I'm telling you, less is more. I am learning this as I'm converting into an all-out minimalist. Uh, in my entire lifestyle, I'm moving to, to minimalism. Uh, this concept came about actually in one of my favorite books called Paradox of Choice by Barry Swartz. And he's the one who coined this phrase, right? Less is more. And when you require someone to say like, you know, Mr. Goggins could have said, all right, Paul, what are the, the, the 16 things that you would change? It would be very easy for me to start rattling off 16. But when he said two, I got to think about that. I only have two. You know, out of all of these things to pick, I only have two. But here's, here's my thought. Man. Here's my thought. For me, I am, I am a generally happy, pleasant, 
person. Like I really am. And I think it's because of the affirmations that I do in the morning and at night and diet and exercise and not surrounding myself around toxic people, you know, um, doing positive things. Like uh, I just came into the studio. I just spent the morning with my grandmother who is 97 years old, went to visit her in her retirement home. And, uh, you know, and, and, and I do things like that for her, but I also do that for me, right. To connect with my leg, you know, my, um, uh, you know, I, to, 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 to reconnect with, with who I am. And I often do that. So long story short is like, I just want to set that out that I'm, I'm generally like happy. Right. But you asked me about happier, happier, how to become happier. One thing that I know would drive more happiness for me personally is if I knew I would, and this is, uh, this is, this is interesting. I, f- I feel like now I'm, I'm in a therapy session, but if I knew I was the best in the world at something, right? That means a lot to me. And the reason why that means a lot, so much to me is because another one of my favorite books, uh, So Good They Can't Ignore You by Cal Newport, what he wrote about in that book changed my life. Like literally, I talk about this book so much. I I should get royalties off of this thing because it, it changed my life. And basically what he said in the book is that all of us want three things out of life. Some of us want more of those three things, but we all want three things. One is we want impact. Two is we want autonomy, right? Control of our time. And then three, we want wealth. And some of us want a lot of wealth or a little. Some of us want a lot of autonomy or a little, a lot of impact or a little. But the key to getting those three things is about becoming best in the world at a skill, at something. And that's the reason why the book is called So Good They Can't Ignore You, right? Become so good at something that, so good at something that the world can't, can't ignore you. And I've seen this time and time again. I've actually studied this. And, you know, I love history. And so anytime I'm out and I'm studying, it could be anyone, right? It could be, you know, studying a, a, a military commander, studying, you know, um, an architect. Like I've been reading a lot about Gaudi uh, from Spain. You know, whenever I study these folks, what I realize is that at the time in the world, right, whenever that was, right, when, you know, uh, when, 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 they, when they were, you know, when they were here, like a Mansa Musa, uh, whenever these folks were here, they were the best in the world at A, B, or C, or A, B, and C, right? But they were the best in the world. And because they were the best in the world, they had enormous wealth, right? Enormous autonomy and enormous impact. I personally am not looking for enormous wealth. I do like money, right? I like money, but it's not that I'm looking for enormous wealth. I also already feel like I have uh, as much control over my time as, as, as makes me happy. But what I don't have is the impact that I would like to, to, to have, the impact on this world. And so for me, what I realize is, so, so, so your question is, is what would make me happier? I guess what would make me happier is to become best in the world at something. Because that would then drive that impact for me. Um, And I feel like I had that at one sliver moment in my life where I became a matchmaker. There was a couple years into matchmaking where I really felt like I was the best matchmaker in the world. Like, And it wasn't just the business side of it. It was the understanding. It was the social connection. It was all of these elements. I felt like I was best. I, I still consider myself top 10, you know, out of the tens of thousands, but there's some folks out there who I readily admit are better than me. So I'm now looking for something uh, to become best in the world at. And I have a couple of ideas. And, and actually, this is a hint. Well, I won't even give a hint right now uh, because I also think that it's important to keep some things private to yourself. But I am 
that that's the that's the answer, right? I feel like I need to become best in the world at something that'll help to drive my happiness. And then you said two things. Then the second thing is is I would like to see all of the people in my community, right? People who listen to this podcast, people who watch the podcast, uh, people who, who, you know, all of my mentees on the newsletter, all of my mentees in the masterminds, like all my friends, like my community, I want to see them become best in the world at something. Like that's actually the heart of what this podcast, Better With Paul, is all about. Like the, the idea is how do you live a better life? But an ingredient to living a better life is also identifying those things that you can master, right? You could become, you know, it's, it's that craftsman, craftswoman mindset. It's going back to uh, Malcolm Gladwell and Anders Ericsson talking about the 10,000 hour rules. It's, it's about perfecting something. And then through the perfecting of that something, have, it has a ripple effect, you know, in, in your life. And so the first thing to make me happier that I like to change is I'd like to become best in the world at something. The second thing is I want all of the people in my community to become best in the world at something. So that is your answer, sir. I hope that uh, that suffice for you, but that was a brilliant question. So thank you very much. And that's it, ladies and gentlemen, what will hopefully be a frequent Q&A series, but that's up to you. So email me, paul at paulcbrunson.com if you really, really loved it. And also email me, paul at paulcbrunson.com if you really, really did not like it. If it was just mediocre to you, no need to email me. But email me if you feel passionate one way or the other. I'll take your feedback and we'll move from there. But that is it. I will see you on the next episode of Better With Paul. And to close us out, we have none other than Kingston, Lewis, soon to be age 10 Brunson with some final words. I hope you enjoy the show.